Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Alright, morning church. It's, um, it's really good to be here this morning. Um, I was reminded earlier when I was scrolling through Facebook <laughs> um, that it is Workers' Day. So it's pretty cool, thanks to all the workers that we get tomorrow off as well. Um, but just, just in, in light of that, um, I think it's also just worth acknowledging those who serve here at Red Door. Um, it's really, really amazing to see people coming together early on a Sunday morning, especially one like this morning, where it's quite cold. <laughs> yeah, the Holy Spirit was like mic drop. Um, <laughs> um, just don't do it again. Um, but this doesn't happen without people coming together, serving, helping out. And just this last week, I've been reflecting on the things that we sacrifice in order for the gospel to be shared, right? We don't just do these things so that the service works well or what have you, but really so that people can come, hear the gospel, experience the gospel, sing the gospel, all of those wonderful things. So to those of you who are involved with serving here at Red Door, just a, just a shout out from me. Thank you so much for all that you do. So my name is Jason. I'm a church planting resident here at Red Door Church. Basically what that means is I'm here to observe, to see what it looks like to be in the world of church planting. I come from an established church, so coming through at 8 o'clock every Sunday to set up speakers and sound is not, uh, <laughs> it was a bit of a culture shock for me. And I don't know for what reason, but you think after six weeks it gets easier. It doesn't. It's still hard work and waking up just gets harder and harder. But I'm here to observe, to learn, and it's been a privilege to be on the journey with Red Door Church from when we launched last year in March uh, up until now, and just meeting new people every week. I'm finding myself at that awkward stage where I'm going up to people, I'm like, hi, I'm Jason. Have we met? Because you start forgetting who you've met week in and week out. So I do apologize if, if I did that to you this morning and it was awkward. Um, I'm married now for just over seven months, hashtag marriage goals. <laughs> All the married couples are like, come on, come on. Um, but it's good to be here, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to speak to you all this morning and to, to bring the Word of God to us all this morning, because even as I'm preaching, I'm preaching to my own heart. Um, as I prepared the sermon in the week, um, I was really wrestling with this in my own heart, and I'm excited for you to see the product of the wrestle. Um, yeah. So can I just ask, we've... I think most of us in this room, if not all of us, have finished school, or we're going to finish school, or we're close to that stage. When you left school, what was the thing that told everyone else that you have either made it or that you are making it? What is that thing? So in my circles, it was a car, right? I'm sure we've all seen those pictures, right? The people with the keys, and they're standing awkwardly with the ribbon on the car, and... Like, when I saw that in my friends, I'm like, yeah, this guy's doing it. This guy's really doing it. It never, never once did I think that the parents pay for it. I was just like, yo, he's killing it. 
But uh, I didn't get my, my car when I first finished school because I was actually working in a church that was just down the road from where I stayed. So I walked, you know, old school, um, just like Jesus and the, the disciples, you know, <laughs> walking to where the ministry field is. And so the need for me to have a car was not really there. Um, the need was minimal. But with that, when it's your first year working in a church, your salary is also minimal. So you can't really consider having a car and, because we all think the car just drives, right? Until you start driving one and you realize, oh, it needs something that goes into it. And yeah, we won't get into that. That's a very discouraging conversation. But for me and my circles, it was when you posted a picture of you having a car that people were like, this guy's doing it. This guy's succeeding in life. He has his first car. Or girl, okay? Um, but I remember every now and again when you watch TV, that car advert comes on. And they show you all the cool things that the car has that you don't need but you think you need. Um, great example is cruise control. My car has cruise control now, and I'm like, yo, what did I do before? Bro. <laughs> but I remember the advert would finish, and right at the end, it would say, drive yours today for, from, from, one triple nine per month. I remember looking at it like, yo, I could get a brand new car and have some money left over to actually drive it to places and do things. Not much. But finally, I thought, actually, I can, I can pretend that I'm making it, right? I can pretend that I'm doing it. Surely, surely, this advert must be too good to be true. And eventually I realized that there's two things in that advert that are quite critical. The first thing is the word from, right? Starting from, one triple nine. And then right underneath it, in like the smallest writing, like smaller than your study Bible, <laughs> terms and conditions apply. Terms and conditions apply. So what were those terms and conditions? Well, after chatting to my parents about it, I realized that the terms and conditions are, are you going to put down a deposit? If not, well, then it's not going to be 1999. Here's the big one. And like students, if you haven't got a car yet, just listen to this very carefully. There's a thing called a balloon payment. Do you guys know what a balloon payment is? Right, so you start off in your first year, you're paying 1999. Then the next year, all of a sudden, you play, you're paying like 2400 because it goes up by like 20%. And then the year after that, it goes up even more. And by the end of it, in your like last two years of paying for this car, you're paying like 5,000 rand a month for a Hyundai i10, right? At that point, you could be rocking a GTI. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't look at the prices of those things. It hurts too much. But that's what the terms and conditions were. If you are willing to submit to our terms and conditions, if you are willing to do these certain things, you can have this car for one triple nine per month. From one triple nine per month. I'm sure that we can all think of a time. It doesn't have to be a car. It could have been a cell phone. It could have been a PlayStation. It could have been a nice pair of shoes where you've looked at a deal and you've thought, that's, that's a steal. That's a steal of a deal. How many times hasn't that happened where we've looked at things and we thought, gee, that's a bargain. I'm the one who's going to win in the end of this. Maybe it was a friend who promised you something and you ended up thinking when that friend said that, you were like, 
this is too good to be true. This sounds too good to be true. Friends, can I maybe suggest that this could be the reason why we struggle to accept the gospel as it is? It may seem like a bit of a heavy statement for, a, for early Sunday morning, but can I maybe propose or ask, here this morning, are we so used to things being too good to be true that we find ourselves struggling to accept the gospel as it is? No terms and conditions. Our passage this morning is going to force us as a church and as individuals to confront this issue in our own hearts as a church community. But before we go any further, let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gospel, Lord. We thank you that we have this good news that Jesus Christ died and he rose again, defeating death, that by faith we may receive grace and mercy and that we may come into your kingdom. Father, I pray that as I speak this morning that these words would not be my words, but that they would be your words. Father, that each and every one of our hearts would be challenged, moved, encouraged, and convicted this morning, Lord, that we would come out of this being encouraged in who we are in you and knowing where we stand in you, Father. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Are you guys, you okay? I would say, are you out there? But this isn't one of those big auditoriums. I can actually, I can like virtually smell you. In today's passage, we're going to see that the early church had to wrestle with something quite intense. There was a particular subject that came up that they had to wrestle over. But it's worth noting that this, this topic or this subject wasn't, it wasn't something small, like what coffee we drink, instant coffee or filter coffee, or we have the cool machines. It wasn't one of those. It wasn't how we should dress for church or what we should look like. The subject at hand was super serious and the church had to actually wrestle with this and deal with it because it became a salvation issue. This thing became an issue that was so big that people were struggling to come to Christ because they had put up a barrier, they had created their own terms and conditions for what it meant to come to Christ. And so we're going to see the church wrestle around this issue, come to a conclusion, and I think we're going to learn a lot from this conclusion. Um, it's easy to take the conclusion as it is and just be like, ah, that's what it's saying. But there's, there's, a cool, there's a cool piece to the end of it. I'm really excited to, to get there, but I won't jump there now. But the first thing I want to say this morning, church, is that truth is not relative. Truth is not relative. What do I mean by this? Well, in our society, we've started drifted in the direction of saying this thing called my truth and your truth, right? So my truth is what I believe to be true, and your truth is what you believe to be true, but we keep, it, we keep it separate from one another, and I believe that mine is true, you can believe yours is true, and we just won't offend one another, right? Let me give you, let me give you a good example of this. My truth, my truth, please do not laugh at me, my truth is that Manchester United is the best football team in the world, right? Timber's truth is that Liverpool is the best football team in the world. Right. Now, I'm sure you're all sitting there right now, even if you don't watch football, surely you've seen the memes by now. We all know that my truth cannot be true at this point, right? I will not draw a final conclusion as to what is true because it will cause my brothers to stumble here today. But that is the point. 
my truth cannot be true because the facts do not point in that direction. Maybe Temba's truth is true. Maybe that is the case. But we cannot handle the Bible with the view of my truth versus your truth. There is only one truth, and that is the Bible. Truth is not relative. The truth about anything cannot change based on what we think or what we feel. So let's, let's have a look. It's not going to come up on the screen. So I want to encourage you to have your Bibles open with you or unlock your Bibles, as Rain says, and follow with me. But we're going to have a look at what is it that the church are thrown into sharp dispute about. We're going to read from verse 1 to 5. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So picture the scene, right? Last week we heard how Paul and Barnabas were traveling. You guys saw the massive journey that they went on. Just keep walking. That was what Rain looked at. And they found themselves back in Antioch. And that's where this disagreement takes place, where they're hearing that some guys are teaching that you must be circumcised in order to be saved. You must be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul and Barnabas freak out, because obviously they've just gone on this massive journey. And Luke, as he's writing this and recording this historical document, points out that they were sharing and they were encouraged by the fact that Gentiles were being converted as they preached, as they preached the gospel. Now Paul and Barnabas arrive and they hear that these guys have added their own, little, their own little nuance to the gospel that you must be circumcised in order to be saved. And what we can learn from the early church, as Red Door Church here today, what we can learn is that truth is important. The final truth is important. And we need to be willing to wrestle with each other, wrestle with the word, to come to a point where we say, this is the truth. Not my truth and your truth. This is the truth. This is what the Bible says. So what was their conclusion? Well, the bottom line of their conclusion is that there is no need for terms and conditions. The conclusion that the apostles and the elders came to is that there is no need to add these terms and conditions to the grace that God offers. This gospel, this grace is given to all nations. This isn't a Jewish thing anymore. This is to all nations, including the Gentiles. And no nation, and this applies to us today, no nation needs to cross these uncomfortable cultural lines in order to become a Christian or to be a Christian. But rather, the answer is quite simple. Have a look at verse 6 to 11 with me. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, 
showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to, to test God by putting on, the necks, um, putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through, grace, through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. No terms and conditions. We are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. We are saved by faith and nothing more, nothing less. Faith in Jesus. And church, here's the hard part. Because we're so used to having to read the terms and conditions because we're so used to having to read between the lines of every contract we sign, every advert we read or hear, because we're so used to looking at the things that this world offers and saying, this seems too good to be true, we find ourselves in a space where the simplicity of the gospel seems too good to be true. And here is the truth, the only truth. This good news the gospel is not too good to be true. It is not too good to be true. There is no reading between the lines and funky contracts. And as a result of the world that we live in, we've added our own terms and conditions for ourselves and for others. Think about how many times you've looked at a person and you're like, hey, this guy's not going to cut it. I've been in youth ministry. You want to see weird people come in. <laughs> you think the students are strange. How many times have we not looked at someone based on the way they look, the way they speak, the way they sound, the way they dress? Maybe they got a funky tattoo. We look at them and we decide right there and then, not sure the gospel's for this person. How many times haven't we done that for ourselves, with ourselves? Every time we want to read the Bible, spend time in prayer, we remind ourselves of the reasons why we don't deserve to spend time with God. We remind ourselves of all the things that we've done wrong instead of doing right in order to earn God's favor. So now I cannot spend time with God. I cannot be in this relationship with God. God is not trying to trick us into following him. He wants us to come by faith. He wants us to choose to follow him. This is unconditional grace. This is unconditional grace. Now, it would be super easy at this point to finish and be like, amen, hallelujah, and we all leave, right? But, there's something else that we need to see in this passage that is critical for us as individuals and for us as a church. There's something that we need to take into account, and it's something that we can't miss or just breeze over in this passage. It's easy for us to focus on the better part of the passage that there are no terms and conditions to God's grace. I'm forgiven. I'm good to go. And this is true. But I want to add into this. From what we see in this passage, I want to say this. There are no terms and conditions to God's grace. Because sometimes 
The terms and conditions that we set in the agreement of grace are barriers for people coming to know Jesus. Let me repeat that. There are no terms and conditions to to God's grace because sometimes the terms and conditions that we set in the agreement of grace are barriers for people coming to know Jesus. So what do I mean by this? Well, church, there are times when we, we take our cultural beliefs, things that have been passed down to us from our parents and from previous generation, we take our cultural beliefs, preferences, and practices, and we make them gospel issues. We take those cultural preferences and we can make them barriers to others who want to know Jesus, who want to follow him, but now they no longer feel good enough because culturally they do not pass the test. Have a look at verse 20 to 21 with me and then verse 29. It reads as follows. Instead, I'm going to read from verse 19, sorry. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. And then finally, verse 29, in the letter that they write to the church, it says, You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. You see, the elders and the apostles come together to discuss this issue of circumcision. And the conclusion is, Gentiles, who are not Jewish people by tradition and culture, Gentiles do not need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Why? Because circumcision was a cultural barrier that the Jewish people had put up for the Gentiles. And I'm sure most of us can agree we wouldn't choose to be circumcised if we didn't have to be, right? So the Jews were taking this cultural expectation, placing it on the Gentiles and saying, in order to be saved, you needed to do this. But likewise, the apostles and the elders in their letter write that the Gentiles need to refrain from certain things. Why? Well, it says it there in verse 21. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. You see, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers were spending a lot of time together. And what was happening is when the Gentiles were coming and they were eating those foods in front of the Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, that was a stumbling block for them. That was something that they struggled to get past. And so the bottom line of this and, and everything that's being, that's being said here is, let's not have cultural beliefs intrude on the gospel for the sake of others. Let's love people in how we treat certain things. There are going to be certain things that maybe get our back up and we think, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, is that a gospel issue or is it a culture issue? Is it a gospel issue or is it a my issue? Is it a gospel truth or is it my truth? What are the things that we are doing and engaging in that is causing others to struggle in their relationship with Christ? That is the ultimate goal of this this group of leaders. As they write this letter, the apostles and the elders, their ultimate goal is saying, hey, Jewish Christians, help the Gentiles to love Jesus. Hey, Gentile Christians, help the Jewish Christians to love Jesus. Simple. 
It's all about caring for one another. How can we make this gospel more accessible? So as much as they took away the cultural barrier for the Gentiles, they were also aiming to take away the cultural barriers for the Jewish Christians. Some modern-day examples of these things can be tattoos. How many times, like, your modern-day worship leaders, they, <laughs> and we see the tattoos. But that's a, that's a bit of a cultural thing. It's not a gospel thing, right? So some of us might take issue with someone having a tattoo. Others, are, others of us are like, man, those things are cool, no problem. But we're not going to make that a gospel issue. Piercings. I feel like everyone wants to talk about piercings when they're anywhere but in the ears. The moment there's a piercing somewhere else, then everyone's like, whoa. But again, that's a, we're making something a gospel issue that is not a gospel issue. That is a generational or a cultural issue. Can I take a second to maybe just bring this a little bit closer to home for us as a church today, as Red Door Church? The subject of alcohol can be a bit of a tricky one. And at Red Door Church, as you guys know, we do sometimes allow alcoholic beverages at some of our events, or as Rain likes to put it, drinks of a fermented nature. Now, why do we allow this sometimes? You see, alcohol is one of those, it's one of those things where there will be some people in the church who feel that drinking alcohol and consuming alcohol is a sin and it's something that Christians shouldn't do. There will be some in the church who feel like alcohol is something that can be enjoyed, not abused, but enjoyed in a responsible manner and that that doesn't affect or influence whether we are Christian or not. And then there might even be some of us who are sitting here today and like, well, I'm in between. I don't actually know where I stand. I'm still trying to figure that out and that's fine. But the fact is that neither of these views is wrong. If you're sitting here today and you believe that drinking alcohol is a sin, that's your conviction. I'm not going to stand here and say that you're wrong. And if you're sitting here today and you're saying that drinking alcohol, as long as it is not abused but enjoyed in a responsible manner, is fine, again, that's, that's your conviction and that's chilled. We have different convictions over these things because of the cultural backgrounds that this has. So some of us have been really negatively affected by alcohol and the abuse of it, and so we don't see it as helpful, and it's not something we necessarily should enjoy, especially in a church setting. And then there's the others who maybe haven't been negatively affected by it, and they really enjoy it, and they think it's okay for church settings. There will be spaces, church, where we can enjoy these beverages, and there will be spaces where we shouldn't. The question we should be asking is not, is me drinking alcohol a sin? Or is it not a sin? The question we should be asking is, is me drinking alcohol in this space going to cause someone else to love Jesus less or struggle in their walk with Jesus? That's what we need to be asking. It's all about how can we love those around us in the things that we are doing. <clears throat> in the things that we are doing. And if we look at this in light of today's passage, can I say, church, we should engage over this. Come and chat to us. If you're still struggling with the fact that we allow alcohol at certain events, come and chat to us. We want to engage over these things. And if there's other things that we maybe do as a church culturally, because church can be cultural, right? Maybe there's things we're doing as a church that we don't even realize we're doing and you struggle with that. Come chat to us. Let's dialogue over it. Because when we see what happens in Acts 15, they discuss it, it gets taken to the, to the leaders of the church, the apostles and the elders, and they resolve it. And we want to be resolving things. So we want to encourage us as a church to be doing that, especially because we are, we are striving to be a multicultural church. So 
we can have people of different cultures and social backgrounds coming into our space. We need to be willing to engage with those things and we need to be willing to come out with the conclusion that says we want to serve and love each other best. That is the conclusion we need to come to. And can I say that this gospel, because there are no terms and conditions, this gospel is a multicultural gospel. It is for all people. It is for all nations. Jesus is clear. Go and make disciples of all nations. Not go make disciples of those who don't drink alcohol or those who do. Go make disciples of all nations. This is a multicultural gospel for all people. You see, church, we can continue putting up the barriers and the walls for ourselves and for others, finding new hoops that we need to jump through in order for God to forgive us or for God to love us more. But the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear in saying that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Not through faith and. Not by grace and. We are saved by grace through faith alone. So I want to ask us here today as a church, as we sit here and we, we hear this message, what are the hoops that we're setting up for people to jump through? What are the hoops that you're setting up in your own heart for you to jump through on a daily basis in order to have this relationship with Jesus? What are the terms and conditions that you have created in your own heart for what it means to follow Jesus? What are, what are some of the unfair expectations that we're placing on ourselves and others? See, we can either choose to accept that this good news is without terms and conditions, or we can continually seek ways in which we can earn God's grace by doing things and checking the boxes. Like if I serve every Sunday at church, if I arrive at 8 and leave at 12, if I read my Bible every day, if I don't drink alcohol, if I don't eat certain foods, if I don't have a tattoo... What are the things that we are saying to ourselves, this is what you need to do in order to earn the grace given to us? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're not a Christian. Perhaps every time you've been to church or you've been to a Christian setting, there have been hoops that have been set up for you. Maybe you set up your own hoops. Maybe there are your own conditions and terms that you put in place for why you shouldn't become a Christian and why Jesus shouldn't forgive you and offer you this grace. Can I say that you're going to hear the truth now this morning, that there is nothing that you can do to earn God's grace and favor. There is no act, there is no job, there is no box that you can check that will make God love you more or less. We are saved by grace through faith alone. Nothing more, nothing less. And if that is you here today, don't let that hold you back. Come and chat to us. You can chat to myself, you can chat to Rain, or you can find someone who's wearing the holocrew lanyard, but chat to us, say, you know, I want to know more of Jesus. I'm tired of setting up the terms and conditions and deciding why he should or shouldn't love me. Today, I know that there is nothing I can do but just accept this gospel Red Door Church, let's ensure that no matter what we are doing as a church, we always seek to make the good news of Jesus Christ easy to reach for one another and for the people coming into our circles. Out of love for one another, 
and out of love for the others coming into our circles, let's strive to love others in the way that we receive them into this family and in the way that we share this gospel, always being conscious of what barriers there are and what there may be for some. Church, as I close, I just want to say, terms and conditions do not apply to this good news. Terms and conditions do not apply to this good news. This is not too good to be true. Don't let the simplicity of the gospel turn you away, but know that it really is that simple and it is just that good as well. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you for this good news. Father, we just want to come to you now with open hearts and minds and say, Lord, you know that the hoops that we have set up for ourselves to jump through. You know the terms and conditions that we've placed in the way of coming to you and spending time with you on a daily basis. Father, we know that we are, we are not good enough. But we are thankful that through your Son, through his death and resurrection, Father, that we may come by faith, that we may receive this forgiveness that we may come into a relationship with you, that we may know you so personally and so intimately that we can come together and worship your name, hear your word preached, and speak to you so intimately. Father, I want to pray for each of us here today. Lord, would you help us to remove those terms and conditions? Lord, would you help us to preach this gospel to ourselves every day, that on a daily basis when Satan reminds us of why we're not good enough, that you would remind us that we are, not, we are not good enough, but that your son is good enough, that we have no room to boast because our grace is found in you and in you alone, not in ourselves. And Father, we, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.